Welcome to the Smart Driving Cards podcast. We appreciate you taking the time to join us and think you'll find this edition worthwhile. Once again, we have another great guest joining us. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Hi, everybody. And joining us this week is Kara Cockleman, DeWitt Greer Centennial Professor in Transportation Engineering at the University of Texas, co-author of Smart Transport for Cities and Nations, The Rise of Self-Driving and Connected Vehicles. And from a line in your Wikipedia, Kara, your work focuses on finding the best technology to save lives and money in the transportation sector. Thank you for taking the time to join us, Kara. My pleasure. Hey, Kara, it's really great to have you on, uh, you know, the horns. We'll, we'll, we'll let you do that, too, but that's okay. Uh, I don't know. What's Princeton with tigers? I'm... <laughs> what... <laughs> right from the top, Kara, you've spent so many years teaching, studying, and working on solutions to bring about smarter transportation, mobility, and then 2020 comes along. All of a sudden, there's almost no mobility. More than 40 million people in the U.S. are, are out of work. And just as it looks like the COVID-19 pan pandemic is getting somewhat under control, at least in some places, the streets aren't filled with cars. They're filled with people seeking social justice. Where does that leave smart transportation in, in the scheme of things? Well, electric vehicles are considered smart transportation. You know, fast charging, all those things are going to stay. And I think just for cost reasons, people will continue to share rides in the future. We'll get used to this new normal. It's sort of like asking everybody to ride motorcycles all the time, which is dangerous, but it's not absolutely insane. So living with, you know, a virus that may never have a vaccine is, is something I, I think the human race is up to. Alan, you've been talking for years uh, about the need to use this technology, autonomous vehicles, ride sharing, to create a new era of mobility for all, including the economically disadvantaged. Kara, do, do you think the conditions we're facing today perhaps give more urgency to that kind of thinking? And, and Alan, obviously you join in then on that too. Well, you know, traffic is down in all sorts of ways and there's no longer that congestion that would help some people choose transit, uh, but there was unemployment and, and other reasons for people maybe to, to shift to transit long term. I think ride sharing is, is going to go forward in the next you know, year or so with masks. It's just a, a new way of doing business. And we are seeing you know, the subway and, and buses working at, at close to capacity in other countries that are opening up. Yeah, I, I think we're all going to find new ways to, to do this. And, and in fact, uh, maybe the vehicles will end up being actually cleaner and health-wise even safer than they were before, because uh, I think it's it might have been revealed by the MTA in New York that they never cleaned the subways in the 100 plus years of the subways. Or I don't know if that's completely true, but, um, you know, the, there, there will be... Um, there'll be a new normal out there. Uh, maybe in some vehicles, there'll be compartments or something like that to separate people and so on. Um, uh, we'll wait and see. 
uh, I've sort of made the, the comment that if you look back 30 years ago, who would have thought we'd have airbags all throughout the cars that now basically, you know, provide pillows in case we go boom. But so, uh, but the technology came in to put that in there that, you know, none of us would have really thought that was kind of possible. Uh, so, uh, so, you know, there'll be a lot of ingenuity out there. There's such a, a um, a value associated with sharing a ride. And there's both, I think, financial value and social value in that. I mean, are we really going to sit there by ourselves only contemplating our own navels? I, I don't know. Kara, what do you think? Well, I think there's, you know, the energy value and the congestion value. So it's not just that obvious direct financial value of filling seats and keeping prices low. And those are incredibly important. And, uh, you know, especially at peak times of day, there won't be enough shared autonomous vehicle fleet or autonomous taxis to serve everybody with good response times generally, because that would be over, you know, investing in the fleet at that point. And, uh, there's probably going to be road pricing charges and things like that in downtown Austin and, and many other places that our listeners are living. And uh, that will hopefully be credit-based. So you'll have credits that you can use towards these systems of sort of shared mobility, even if it's an electric bike, perhaps a kayak, uh, but you won't be able to cash that out and take it elsewhere. And that's going to be an excellent tool to help make people choose the right mode. And Karen, do, do you not think that the, the impact of COVID-19 on people's aversion to the idea of sharing rides, that, that's not going to last? Well, you know, they're sharing elevators, they're sharing water fountains. That's they're going to be, <laughs> yeah, um, we share all sorts of closed spaces together. And like Alan said, you know, regardless of COVID, there was a plan to have those separators hopefully come up in a lot of these fleet vehicles so people have some privacy. Of course, they may be traveling with their family and friends, and so they don't want the privacy. So it's kind of an adjustable compartment, but that will definitely be helpful for airborne issues. Yeah, I, I think we'll, ju we'll just find a way to do it. I, th I think we are social animals, I think, or at least I hope we are. And uh, being social animals, I think the, 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 the fundamental uh, societal and personal value out of you know, interacting with people, um, we'll, we'll win out, we'll figure out a way around this. And my goodness, if, if, <laughs> if we really can't, I mean, somebody will come up with a vaccine. Um, I mean, <laughs> what would the value of that vaccine be? My goodness, uh, there's a real economic value associated in that sucker. So, um, uh, that's where the innovation will come in and, and we'll get back to, to being sort of normal human beings, which I don't think we've been normal human beings in the last uh, eight, 10 weeks. Yeah, there, there is an opportunity uh, for, for a lot of innovation. Alan, you and I had talked, uh, I think probably a couple of months ago about personalized face masks and things like that. And now they're all over the place and fashion statements are, Almost. We should, oh, geez, why didn't we do that, Fred? <laughs> we could have gotten Karen there to help us. And we could have, we'd be rich. Uh, never mind. Who cares? <laughs> this is the one I made this, and um, and I recently bought one that does have a political statement on it. So maybe I'll wear that on your next show. 
why does that not have a you know horns on it and 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 and, and whatever i mean come on doesn't the university of texas have garb now already what, what are you going to do in the football stadium i mean you're going to people are going to show up they're going to be all and it's going to be all in this university of texas whatever of course, I'm right? I'm on making some burnt orange ones this weekend. Um, but yeah, that was my husband's old khaki pants that you just saw. So, <laughs> A good move. Repurpose, recycle, right? <laughs> so, have they made any decisions yet about the about the fall at the University of Texas? Absolutely, yeah. We're going forward, not with our biggest classes. Those will be online. And we'll have like double seating at least in all of the classrooms and we'll have remote participation possible. So it'll probably reduce the number of bodies that show up. And we're gonna have longer durations between class shifts so that you'll have less intensity of people in corridors. So there'll be a lot of options for the students and for some of the faculty. For example, the, the older faculty, I think that might be a little uncomfortable to be constantly, you know, in a room with, with 30 <laughs> people or more uh, for classroom teaching. So some of them may be able to teach remotely. I mean, come on, there'll be plexiglass shields around the podium. I mean, come on, I mean, you mean we can't go in there? We never got close to students anyway, did we or did we? I mean, <laughs> I did. Yeah, uh, they have to get to the podium. And so I think that's part of the concern. But certainly the students can sit back and all that. Um, but you know, it's hard to police a lot of people at once. And so we've got 52,000 students here every year. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's keeping the students from getting together. Is that is that is that the real challenge? Or you know, I, I think a lot of them will hopefully get it uh, before too long. It'd just be nice to have that during the summer rather than during the academic term. We also won't be coming back after Thanksgiving for regular in-person classes. So if anybody gets it while they're on vacation with their family and, and friends during that long week. Uh, they, they, they won't be coming back into the classroom, so that'll provide some protection and, and some time to recover, I guess, at home. A lot of changes coming. Beyond the economics, Kara, of being able to, to get people to and from work, I know you've spoken about how necessary the new technologies are, including EVs in particular, when it comes to climate change and those issues. Yeah, so that is, you know, there are a couple of huge issues in the world. Uh, this past week, of course, this has been a recurring issue for us on the Black Lives Matter. And, um, but yeah, there's some, you know, issues of leadership and of course, climate change. So these are the kind of the worst things that have happened in my lifetime. And I, you know, I would love to be able to, to assist. So for my part, you know, what can we do to right size the vehicles and that's a shared fleet. Um, if you really need an SUV or a pickup truck, you can order it, but by and large, most of us are very happy in a, a sedan, a midsize or even a compact and uh, sharing rides. Many of us are happy. We've done lots of surveys on this. Um, at nighttime, it gets a little dicey, but for people who've done it, especially in urban areas where, you know, if there is something going on, of course, we're expecting cameras in the vehicles eventually too. Once you lose the driver, uh, then, you know, the, a camera becomes a nice asset. And, and of course, we're all carrying cameras too, which is, is really helpful. And, and they can alert authorities and, and, and people can track our, our locations, our friends and family. So there's lots of ways to share the ride, fill those seats, get congestion down, but you also have to price the roads. Uh, and so I've always advocated credit-based congestion pricing. So all of the money 
that is uh, collected is returned uh, to residents of the region or those who are temporary residents of the region uh, above age 18, let's say. So they all have a uniformly distributed credit. And if you want to donate your credits to low-income single parent households, you can do that. And those credits will be good towards all sorts of transportation opportunities in the region. And so um, with the smart cars, th that's pretty seamless. That's easy to collect and do. The vehicle can make it, figure out where it is and, and accumulate the toll that it owes. And basically, whenever it passes under a reader, which might be once a day or once a week, maybe once a month for people who aren't getting out in a vehicle very often, it will, it will provide its tabulated total. And of course, that'll be folded into the cost of a, a shared autonomous vehicle fleet when you, you purchase the ride. I, I agree with the whole credit approach to uh, to the road pricing. In fact, uh, um, it's it's really to me uh, more like a ration, and um, everybody gets a ration of people that own cars as well as the people that don't, yeah. the people that can't, and uh, instead of necessarily using those ration coupons to get your butter as you might, uh, you might sell it and it's on the market. So therefore, in fact, it then uh, provides that level playing field to not only the poor, but also, you know, levels out with the rich as to, hey, if this is, this is a social asset to the community and that includes everybody and they all have an equal share in this thing. And therefore they, the key of that is that it gets that, that whatever values are, are, are gained by that gets distributed to the community at large those that might want to use it for themselves again to get the butter or they don't like butter. So therefore, you know, sell it to somebody who wants two pounds of butter. Well, the, the sales back is kind of complex. So what I, I really recommend is if you exceed your credit, you just pay, you know, just like you do with your toll tags right now that so many of us have across the nation. And then um, you're, you're going to get to your destinations much faster. So it's a win-win for most people. And we've done the studies for Dallas. We've done the studies for the Austin region. And like 97% of people can come out ahead, even if there is, of course, that cost of administering the system. And it's kind of expensive right now with these big gantries and uh, radio frequency and camera backups. And so Singapore, and hopefully the rest of us will be shifting to more of a, a cellular-based approach. And you can even do lane-by-lane -lane pricing in those situations and, and really pick your speed and your route down to the lane. Um, but if you don't need your credits, uh, generally, you would release them um, or donate them or possibly, you know, win like a tickets to a, a local cinema house if we still have those right after COVID. Um, but it might be, you know, free Netflix shows, let's say something like that. So they're not cashable and you can't really sell them because that creates issues for fraud. So um, we've, we've really been working on this policy for a long time. And, and that's, that's our final recommendation, I think, on that. Well, I'd set up an ETF for it and set up a market for it. And uh, yeah, I think we uh, kind of know how to deal with fraud in, in markets. And, and, and I, I really look at it as, as, as an asset to every, that should be distributed to everybody. That means everybody. These are, you know, assets. You wish to hold it, fine. You wish to use it, fine. You wish to sell it, fine. And I'm, I would suspect that given all the capabilities we have in, it, in setting up these, uh, these markets, they're all computerized anyway, uh, the overhead is really not all that much. And well, we, um, we want to make sure you're in the region, Alan. So like you might take a month long trip to another country and get your credits and I don't want you selling those, my friend. 
Oh man, I mean, you're looking. <laughs> anyway, uh, yes, there are details. This is this is uh, this is not a, a slam dunk, of course. Uh, my only point is is that is that there are there is people in our communities that in fact don't aren't out there uh, on 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 the on the roadways. They happen to to have chosen a place to live that uh, they can walk to work, and therefore uh, they deserve uh, some of the a uh, access to that capacity. Uh, the capacity is really a it's a social good. And um, and if they're not going to use it, um, why not sell it? But maybe that's too much free market. And when no, they, no, no. <laughs> never I, mind. I, no, it's tough. It they, is a tough concept. So anyway. they, they can get on an electric bike. They can get on a kayak locally. They can watch a movie probably with those credits. But yeah, selling back on a second market to others is, is the tricky part there. Fred, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I was going to say Alan has... Uh, for for a long time on on our podcast talked about how all of us have been coerced into providing slave labor into driving ourselves around by by the automobile industry do you do you really see that kind of behavior changing that we're going to be willing to give up at least many of us give up uh, some of the personal vehicles and 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 get into ride sharing well, it, so giving up a personal vehicle is not the same as sharing a ride with a stranger, right? So a taxi is pretty personalized. Um, you do have a chauffeur who's sharing that ride with you. Uh, he's probably not going to talk to you much, so you're fine. If you or it really could want. be a computer. Never mind. Never of course. Be. Of course. That's, that's why we're here. Um, yeah, that's why we're here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, this, this already exists. You don't have to own a vehicle to have private transportation for hire right now in this country and everywhere else, I believe. So um, but sharing a ride with a stranger, you know, does save money. It can be vans, it can be minibuses. It's in most situations, it's not going to be super large buses because those have a lot of downsides, like longer headways. Um, they 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 cause line of sight issues for others around them. They have long uh, acceleration and 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 they're not nimble, so they cause a lot of issues. So I think moving to a smaller vehicle um, doesn't have to be a four seater, something smaller going to be very popular unless you have babies or kids that really need uh, special seating or you need to carry like a lot of stuff with you. So once the price of the vehicles falls enough and the auto manufacturers are comfortable with you and me owning and maintaining one of these fancy vehicles, that's when you're going to start to see the private adoption. But hopefully by then we will all be, you know, well adjusted to letting go of some of these conventional vehicles, shifting to an all electric shared fleet and shared fleet doesn't mean you have to share the rides, okay? You can still pay for a private ride in that self-driving vehicle. Yeah, I have, I have nothing to add. That's the, that's the whole spiel. <laughs> we'll continue in just a moment, but uh, this is a good time to remind you about our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. To get more info, head to MOTOETF.com. And a reminder, when you get to that website, read the white paper titled The Smart Transportation Revolution. It's under the Insights and News tab. The information there can really help you make a, a more informed decision on investing. ETFs, if you're not aware, can be a smart way to spread risk with your investments and focus on a particular category. And the site, again, is MOTOETF.com. Getting to some of the headlines in the latest Smart Driving Car newsletter. 
The Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, Alan, is out with a study of over 5,000 crashes and says humans cause about 94% of them in the U.S., but autonomous vehicles would only prevent about a third. I haven't looked at all the details here, and perhaps we, we will be, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I haven't looked at all the, I haven't looked at all, essentially any of the details because it, this just hit, I think it hit this morning. And, and uh, I assume it's true. If it's true, then, then this is a really um, um, substantive um, um, statement on the ability of, the, of this uh, automated driving to really address the safety issue. If in fact, I think as I've said, if we need these things to drive better than a human does, when a human is not misbehaving, then we have an enormous amount of work to do. Okay, to me, the real safety value of these things came because they don't misbehave or the probability of misbehavior is extremely small. Where the common thought has been up to this point that misbehavior by the human is a major element in crashes. So whenever anybody talks about a 94%, nine out of 10, whatever they happen to talk about, they call it driver error. I call it driver misbehavior, okay? Uh, it's that misbehavior that, that is the problem, not the ability of the person to actually drive and so on. If they had not been misbehaving, the assumption was that the crash wouldn't have occurred. It's not as if a meteorite came out of the sky and boom, blew up the car. Hey, can't do anything about that, okay? But if I'm whatever and, or I'm whatever and, or I'm, you know, who knows what and, okay? And those things, the assumption has been, and I think it's a correct assumption, that we can write the code and we can get the gizmos such that they don't do that. They don't do this. They don't do that. They pay attention. They don't just are jerks out there going who knows what over the speed limit for the who knows what of it, whatever. They don't go drive in heavy snow. They don't go in the fog. Nobody says this is going to solve driving. We're going to be able to drive in fog. Come on, if there's fog ahead, stop. If you go into it and crash, that's misbehavior. At least that's the way I've been looking at it. Okay, now if this study says that no, people even in the misbehaving situations, the crash would have still occurred. I think that's what they're suggesting here. Although I, I really need to look at it in detail as to what they're saying. And that in fact, if we take out the misbehavior and we drive as well as a human being, we're only reducing 30% of the, of the crash aspects of a car, then man, we have a lot of work to do and nobody can go out there and say, hey, we're doing this for safety reasons. Yeah, that's a, that's a smaller number than, than I would have expected. But still, I mean, saving a third of the injuries and lives that, that, sure, that are lost. Sure, 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 sure. I mean, a third is a good number. But a third not is not 90%, which is what 
the number that people have been putting out there. Not that anybody really, that's an asymptotic 90% that, you know, that's just like vision zeros. There are, there are, there are visions that, you know, asymptotic and limit as you let, you know, T go to infinity. Okay. But um, anyway, Kara. Uh, yeah, I have a paper on, on the expected crash benefits. And so we looked down at each crash, basically. Um, and there's a, about 40 factors that lead into a crash. And so we kind of drilled down to which technology addressed which type of crash. And with 100% adoption of these vehicles, uh, same amount of driving, let's say, we might expect 85% reduction in crashes versus a conventional fleet. And so the IAHS study is probably short term per vehicle when you can't get, you know, the, the full fleet turnover, which takes a long time, right? Because the average vehicle lasts about 17 years in this country. So, um, and many people hold them for 20, 25 or longer. So it takes a long time to turn over that fleet. But once you do, you might get closer to like 80 or 85%, you still have the pedestrians, right? And the cyclists and the motorcyclists, which may not be uh, instrumented in any way. So hopefully parents will put little basic safety messaging um, devices on their kids, backpacks and bikes. And all of us should have those on our bikes, for example, to help um, relay information to the vehicles about occluded, you know, other travelers in the, in the area. Um, but drunk pedestrians, uh, and drunk cyclists, I've seen it. I've actually seen a cyclist drive right into a parked Prius and he ha was intoxicated. And so we're not gonna be crash-free. Um, we're not gonna be insurance-free. There's gonna be trees still falling on our cars, all sorts of things that happen. Uh, but I do think it's gonna be a lot more than a third if you go all out. Um, but I think if you just, you know, you already have electronic stability control, maybe you already have uh, lane alerts and, and, and backup alerts or something then the marginal benefit of a single vehicle right now to the insurance company or to its owner may be closer to a third. I guess the other uh, thing that I should say is I'm only looking at who's at fault, at the entity at fault, okay? Well, Somebody else comes in and hits me and is drunk and I, you know, I can't do anything about it. Uh, you know, they're at fault. The issue is I, I, look at, I look at the vehicle or that I look at, my responsibility in this world. What am I causing? Okay, and 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 from that view, if I want to do safety, and that's why I envelop the car with whatever and so on and so forth, is so that I don't cause the cause. It's not my. If if Kara, you're drunk and you hit not that you would be no no, no don't whatever. Yeah. Then you know I mean that that goes on your that's that's your. That's your crash, not my crash. Okay, oh, yeah. so I don't know how they did the addition, what they had in the numerator, what they had in the denominator that ends up to be 30%. Okay, so that's really where I want, I need to dig into that. What are they really saying? They saying overall, whatever, depending on the penetration, da da do, da da da, but it is as Kara just went through, then of course the numbers can be, can be, you know, all over the place. They can still be at zero you know, forget 30%. And if you take it to the limit in which everybody, which is really not a situation in which, you know, the, again, that's, that's the asymptotic limit as T goes to infinity. 
I'm only going to be around who knows what. I'm lucky to be here as it is. So what the hell? Um, um, you know, I care about that's what I care more about the the short term or the reasonable term on this thing, not necessarily the asymptotic limit in which we got everybody to do. Because of course, to get everybody to do something, again, I probably don't want to live in that world anyway. So whatever. <laughs> I, I do have a lot of publications in the crash arena, yeah. and I do want your audience to know that we're getting close to about a trillion dollars a loss every year in this country, yeah. not during yeah. COVID in terms of crashes, because uh, we just still have those, but there's fewer of them. They are more severe right now. But um, the rate but the rate seems to be up, which was the last data that came out from, what the heck, never mind, but go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead, Kara. Yeah, so rate can go up. You know, it was a little strange to be driving right after quarantine. Um, I think people were on edge, and of course, they were driving faster than they're used to, so they're taking corners and things like that a lot faster, which is a, an issue, um, but I, I hopefully that's settling down. We do have probably about 70% of traffic back here in Austin right now. And I, it sounds like it's less than that in Princeton. Um, but the 94% number is, at, it's, in, it's a factor. So the, the human factor is there. It can be the pedestrian, doesn't have to be the driver, okay, that makes the mistake. So there is a human factor element. Um, but I don't think we'll, we'll get to 94%, you know, unless we have a, a lot of other things um, helping out, like no more rain, <laughs> no more ice, or you're not allowed to drive during ice. I mean, um, can you imagine Atlanta not having an ice storm in which, you know, what, 90% of their crashes are probably in the two ice storms? I don't know. Of course, that's not the number. But I mean, yes, of course, they're going to do that. And people say, hey, I can go out there. There's no ice. But I call that misbehavior. Okay. If you so see one, it, of, it, one of the nice things about the, the smart cars, though, is that they slow down. They may still hit the person, but they slow down, and that really saves a lot of injury cost. And like I said, a trillion dollars. So this includes pain and suffering. It's not pure economic cost. That's $3,000 for every one of us every year of loss, even though most of us have not been in a crash, you know, in several years, and young people have never been in a crash, many of them. So if you just get rid of a, a third of that, let's say, with the purchase of one of these new special vehicles, uh, you could you know, that's $1,000 maybe that you're saving um, off the top per year. And of course, we've got this discounting of the, the series of years that this vehicle will be out there. And, and that's, that's really valuable. That's more valuable than the greenhouse gases of an electric vehicle. Uh, but these vehicles do need more energy, right? Because they've got the computers and the sensors on board. So if you'd like me to talk more about that, Fred, I can. Um, but what do you think about the, the crash issue, Fred? What are your thoughts? Well, it's interesting. I'd like to hear what you're going to say about the energy consumption here. How much is there really more energy consumption when we when we have this uh, equipment in vehicles? Yeah, yeah. So this is the slide that I, I pulled from one of our papers. This is work for the Texas Department of Transportation under an NSF uh, Efficient Vehicles and Sustainable Transportation Systems Center. And so there's all these things that go on when you shift to self-driving vehicles. Um, and there's long-term and the short-term. This is uh, going to be long-term. So we're talking about 100% changeover of the, the light duty vehicle fleet. So these percentages in this final column are relative to uh, the current fleet. So vehicle per vehicle. There's going to be more driving, unfortunately. Uh, hopefully it'll be in shared rides with strangers, but we can't guarantee that, unfortunately. It's probably going to be a lot of people still driving uh, or having their own vehicle drive them. And so there's a little bit of benefit. But, but wait, wait, let me just stop. 
But isn't that good? Because people, the reason people travel is to improve their quality of life. And if they're in, people are improving their quality of life, my goodness, uh, I can't be go in a negative column, right? Because the real objective of all this is to improve quality of life. Never mind. Go ahead. So, <laughs> yeah, no, um, mobility allows us you know, to do so many things. It's, it's right. amazing. And that's how we've all specialized. You know, you and I are allowed to uh, be professors in very narrow disciplines because of this ability to interact over large distances with larger and larger groups of people and, and specialize in things that, you know, we enjoy or we're good at. Um, so that's fine. It's just not great from a climate side. We, I already, I feel we already travel too much as it is quite honestly, Alan. I don't think it's healthy for jet setting faculty to travel, make five big trips a year. I mean, a lot of my colleagues are platinum on multiple airlines. That is not healthy for the planet. That is not necessary. So remote participation. I agree. <laughs> so what you and I are doing right now with Zoom is, is fantastic. We're reaching a lot more people than we would reach in person, right? And we're doing it much more efficiently. Yeah, so apparently they like this. <laughs> Don't they have a life? Go ahead. <laughs> and they can do this in the bathtub, you know. And they, yeah. this, is, this is a very flexible <laughs> thing for them. So, um, but yeah, there's, you can imagine there's a lot of travel demand changes that are going to happen by making it easier to move. And we've got these underserved populations. Those people are incredibly important, right? So like my mom and, and lots of people are basically not going out in the evenings because of the diminished eyesight capabilities. And a lot of people are not permitted to have a license because they have epilepsy or something. And then of course there's the, the poverty issue too. And the buses are in big headways. They, you have to walk to them and, and walk from them. This is much more door to door, even if it's a shared fleet. And so that's gonna cause some more uh, distance and energy impacts in, in different vehicles. It depends what you choose. Um, of course, we've got the shared autonomous vehicles. They're gonna have to be driving empty uh, between passengers typically, unless there's a lot of sharing going on, which would be great. Um, we've got papers on all of these topics, uh, including long distance travel. So uh, this is, we're gonna see maybe a move to the ground away from aviation and maybe shorter total distance, but it is more ground transportation, which can be, um, you know, less efficient depending on how you do it. So how many people are in the car with you, what kind of car you're driving. And so we're seeing more energy probably from that sector. Um, we've got a smoother driving cycle thanks to a smarter engine that can kind of decide ahead of time how to accelerate and decelerate. Um, maybe eco driving too with some of the, the, I guess the street lights that are coming up, things like that. Um, but I think acceleration is a big one. Uh, you may not like this, you may want your car to accelerate faster, but that certainly can help um, and here's where the power demands come in, Fred. So you were worried uh, about, you hadn't noticed this before, but it is like keeping your AC on full time and a really big AC system right now because it's not very efficient, those computers and sensors that they've added to these vehicles. So we're expecting about a 10% bump from that. Um, and then there's faster travel that a lot of people think is going to happen because if you're following at tight headways on the freeways, you can go to a higher speed, which of course comes with more drag, which comes with more energy use there. Um, but on local streets, we're really gonna have to wait until uh, you know there's very smart signal timing, allowing mini platoons, uh, telling vehicles when to arrive. This does take connected vehicles, not just self-driving vehicles. And that doesn't mean connected to a headquarters, it means connected to one another through basic safety messages at a minimum and then some control at the intersections. Uh, of course, if pedestrians and cyclists and others are there, they're gonna need the green and red signals still. So this can't happen everywhere. 
on the freeway. Isn't a lot of this offset uh, by, I'm looking down at your, at yeah. your, at your graph here, so by the switch to EVs? Big, right. So this is part of what uh, today's, you know, meeting is centered on is this electrification. And so um, electrification is, is much more efficient than burning fossil fuels on board. So, uh, and, and then of course you can shift your feedstocks to renewables and, and we're doing that. I think Germany for 50 days or something or has, has had more than 50% of its uh, power generation, electric power generation from renewables uh, this past month or two. And the US is, is slowly shifting as well. We're retiring a lot of coal. We've got a lot of fracked gas, however, um, but you know, this drivetrain becoming all electric is, is a fantastic thing. And these shared vehicles, um, there's a, a smaller vehicle. I'm trying to, I'm looking for the right sizing and I'm not seeing it here, uh, but yeah, smaller vehicles save a lot of energy as well versus buying these massive pickup trucks that a lot of people drive around without anything in them. So this, this, this one down here helps us a lot. And we were really worried what the net outcome of all of this is. And when we simulate it, we end up with an estimate of relative to today's fleet. Um, so no more vehicles, but the same number of vehicles we're estimating maybe a 40% drop, thank goodness, um, if all of these things come to be. This also means prohibiting empty driving by privately owned vehicles. So if you get an AV, you can't send it out to just go park for you several blocks away or go get a pizza for you or something. You, you have to order a fleet vehicle for those kinds of things. Yeah, <laughs> we can we can d discuss the private ownership of driverless vehicles, but that's sort of a separate thing. I, of course, I, I don't believe there's a market for it. So, um, um, and and nobody nobody's going to produce it because the the uh, implied liability is uh, is bankruptcy. So, but that's a whole other uh, other thing that yeah the 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 uh, the energy source uh, the the switch to electrification is really is the big thing there is the big savior and uh, i think we have a couple of things in this week that sort of indicate uh, there's continued progress in all that right fred absolutely well let's move on to to some of the other headlines here uh, volkswagen this week uh, closed a 2.6 billion dollar investment in argo ai which Ford also has a stake in. The deal included a billion dollars in cash and Argo taking over VW's European self-driving unit, valued at $1.6 billion, as well as the unit's more than 200 employees. So, yeah, so this, this was kind of expected, but- th this, this was expected and they, they basically, you know, they announced in July, they had to go through some regulatory hurdles associated with the, uh, whether or not um, there's collusion and whatever and competition and, and so on. And I guess they've gone through that and they've gotten all the regulators in line to approve it. And now they're announcing and going to make it happen. There's been a lot of uh, folks awaiting this to happen. This is a, this is a big move. It, it really indicates that uh, Ford is still in it. Uh, they haven't thrown in the towel with Argo and, um, and it really uh, brings Volkswagen much more into, into the business of making it happen. So this is, a, this is a good announcement. And Ford has told us they're going to be joining us in a, in a podcast yeah. in, the, in the fairly near future as well. So yeah, it'd be nice to, to have that. them come out and yep. really yep. tell us about it as opposed to us sitting out there and never, <laughs> never land speculating as we do. Bloomberg is reporting on former Uber tech executive Tuan Pham and his rift with his former boss Travis Kalanick about how to fix uh, and how to fix autonomous vehicles. So, a bit of a rift there. That made the newsletter. 
Yeah, I made the newsletter. It's nice to see. I get, I guess, some of the inside dirt in terms of what's <laughs> going on and and whatever. Yes. Um, <clears throat> Uh, should Uber be out there trying to develop these things and, and do the the, the uh, driverless technology, or or should they let somebody else do that and they do the managing of the of the rides and the interaction with the public and so on and so forth? And um, yes, in the begin for a while they were out there with a really good team. Uh, they've been really beat up um, over the past um, uh, whatever, and um, and one wonders whether or not uh, they'll still be competitive. As you know, I've said many times on these things, uh, um, Uber can't scale without driverless. Uh, they can become a one percent solution. Great, uh, you know, uh, wonderful. They provide a great employment for a percentage of the population that really needs it. Wonderful, absolutely, no doubt about it. Uh, but to uh, to get more become more than a niche provider, uh, they can't hit the affordability piece, and without without uh, removing the, the the cost of the driver, un unless they enslave the driver, which that's not going to happen, and uh, and so they're they're kind of stuck, and they probably should partner up with somebody, and um, I suggest a couple in the newsletter that maybe or maybe not whatever just for the hell of it. <laughs> Why not? SoftBank still has some money in its pocket. <laughs> a lot of money. Yeah, they, they do have a lot of money in there. Yeah, go ahead. They're putting $500 million into the autonomous driving subsidiary of Didi in China. So they yeah. are still investing big time here. They're still investing big time. And, and it's interesting to see where that investment is going. It's going in, in the China. And if one looks at what's happening out there, what is really happening out there while we're still in the pandemic, uh, my goodness, um, if China wasn't in the lead before all this, uh, they're accelerating, uh, or at least it seems like, uh, like there's no tomorrow. So um, yeah. we've got some Tesla headlines and Kara, I think this is in your wheelhouse. Uh, Tesla has announced plans to build 4,000 superchargers in China, a big expansion there. And you've been studying the, how they build out of superchargers and, and EV charging has been working out. So tell us what your thoughts are to this story. Yeah, so this morning I was actually presenting to policymakers in France and engineers there on the rollout. Uh, so we created a you know, complex optimization problem for where the best positions across the nation in the continental U.S. for placement of chargers, depending on the range of the vehicles. And so we looked at kind of the best trade-off between battery pack size and, and the cost of the expensive chargers. They're about $60,000. It depends how many cords uh, and, and how much charge you can deliver. And of course, the bigger they get, the, the less able the grid is to provide that. So you have to have battery storage on site. But Tesla's great at that. Uh, you know, they, they do that in California already because of the high energy prices there. Um, so I, I'm delighted that they're doing that. I think I was told they also may be in, um, investing in fabrication here in the Austin region. Uh, so that might be exciting to have them here too. And um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what China does. I think that culture is much better about sharing. They don't have the long-term auto ownership culture that we have here. And of course, they, they took COVID uh, measures very seriously. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that, yeah, that mm-hmm. announcement in China, just, I guess, as I comment in, in smart driving cars, I mean, if you're going to do it, this is the way to do it. Um, it is a little bit easier to do it over there. And I guess I also made some comments about, I guess I like it hard because uh, <laughs> there's some there's some overhead that comes with the ease. But anyway, we won't get into all that. <laughs> Electric is, is reporting on Tesla's expansion of subscription services, Alan, and uh, you have something to say about that. Premium connectivity, they're charging for that package, and more to come. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. I mean, you just all you have to do is look at look at what's happened to Microsoft over the past couple of years. Because what what they do, they change their pricing model associated with with Office. That's probably the biggest change that they made. They made it a subscription as opposed to buy one and, you know, and then, uh, and then buy another one. And then, I mean, we've all known subscription businesses are kind of wonderful. You just send out some software and you get in cash. And that's for Tesla. It's of course, that's the way you want makes, makes the initial buy-in easily. And, and of course it's good for the consumer on the consumer side. You don't like it. You stop paying. So did therefore, you see, they're, did you see they're, what their they're shares incentivized did this week? to make sure you continue to like it. So it's win-win on both sides. I mean, of course, that's the way you want to do it. I was going to say, did you see what their shares did this week after the successful SpaceX no, launch? No, Every, everybody... I, I should have looked. I mean, I, you know, as you know, I was glued to my both on the 27th and I had to wait three days. I don't think I left my TV because I didn't want to miss it, of course. <laughs> Um, what are you going to say? Well, the, sh- the shares took you off. You have like to have the so did. much respect. <laughs> it, it, it certainly is, I think, easier to launch. I, I hate that people will go nuts, but it's probably easier to launch uh, 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 from, um, from Launchpad 39 than it is to put a driverless vehicle down the streets of Boston. Okay? Why? Because, because the uncertainties. Because uh, because it's a it's a stochastic uns- uh, problem. It's not deterministic. Much of the spaceflight business. I mean, if they don't have perfect weather, they get to wait three days. I mean, perfect weather. <laughs> Look at what they. I mean, can you imagine what that costs to be? Never mind. The, there was no alternative with this last one. Right? The, the window was that small. Well, the window, why is the window that small? Just burn a little bit more fuel. You can still do the orbital transfers. Come on, cut it out. Alan will figure it out. I don't know how they got stuck in that corner. Uh, Whatever. I used to do that stuff. I haven't done it for almost 50 years, but whatever. Kara, this one's uh, for you again, I think, to chime in first. Uh, Electric reporting that 10 new EVs, electric vehicles, are due out next year. I guess we're going to be seeing a lot more. Yeah, so plugins, we don't have too many in the crossover and the, of course the sport utility and then the pickup side. So I'm really hoping to see those because we've got some amazing options on the sedans. Uh, so I, I hope most of those 10 are different body types. But of course, we want every manufacturer uh, working hard and selling almost exclusively all electric if we can, uh, you know, just to kind of protect our children and our children's children. And all the animals, you know, we've killed like over 50% of all animal life on this planet in the last 50 years. It's, it's sickening. So uh, climate's just going to take over. Previously, it's been land development for agriculture and, you know, businesses and homes. And, and now it's going to be climate change. And so we really have a lot of making up to do. You yeah, know, and, 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 one, and, and, go ahead, Alan. On, on that, on that, on that, no, I mean, 
the the electric uh, pickup trucks. I mean, if 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 they're appreciated by that market segment, oh my goodness, whatever. I mean, they're going to build a cyber truck in your neighborhood. Pickups these days, and here comes Tesla with their whatever that they have out there. And, um, and uh, you know, just the fact that, that uh, GM brought back the Hummer, I mean, the, the realization, I mean, what keeps Ford alive? It's the F- F-150. And, uh, and if now, you know, going to EVs, and if, if that really does compete there with the Teslas, I mean, all of a sudden those two, uh, you can see an enormous shift in that particular market. And if you look at the range for um, pickups, you know, um, I don't know. Uh, you tend to, I don't, I, I never owned one, but I'll, I'll assume that the typical owner of a pickup doesn't take the pickup to go visit grandma. They have another car to go visit grandma. No, they don't. Okay, whatever. They, grandma they goes nothing, in the back, They Alan. have four pickups in the driveway. Oh, uh, whatever. I don't know. I guess, I don't know what I'm talking about, but uh, you but know, much you of the are range. in a bubble. You are in the New Jersey bubble. <laughs> we got to get you out for a little bit. Oh, uh, no, I don't. What are the, you know, I am in a bubble. That is true. I, yeah, Cara, I really Cara, the amazing thing to me is is we're seeing this and, and a story like this at a time when gas is under $2 a gallon here in New Jersey. God knows what it is in Texas. Oh, no, it's not under two right now. I think it's about 230 uh, for okay. the, the lowest price. Uh, oh, yeah. 75 in Jersey. Oh, Texans, you need to come to Jersey, man. We're just like, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm not looking for the cheapest. Um, but yeah, I don't even think Costco is under $2 a gallon right now. So I just go to Costco. I, but I'm, but I'm the, po- the point is... <laughs> The point is how inexpensive uh, gasoline is compared it, to what it was. But yeah. still, this move towards the EVs and how well Tesla is doing. Right. I, I think a lot of people actually care about, you know, their lungs and they care about their the children and um, they care about wildlife and they care about uh, rising seas and, and tornadoes and, uh, you know, and hurricanes threatening the coastlines of this country and inundating Florida. So. They're trying to do the right thing, but you know, I still see a lot of guys driving around in 16 mile per gallon F-250s or 350s. They want the eight foot bed for the big pieces of wood. Um, it's just amazing. They're hauling <laughs> stuff, man. <laughs> but, so, that, so like I get to learn all this because I do live in Texas, um, but it is, um, you know, it has all these other issues. So they create congestion issues. They create crash issues. Um, they create parking issues. They create all sorts of issues in addition to the climate issue. Um, so whatever they can do, and I understand that you know the way Tesla's doing it, very high torque. It, it really should be able to beat just like that Hummer that you noticed, which is a hideous thing, but it is um, an exciting thing for a certain segment of the population uh, and so forward. And I guess in that, that case, GM is is going forward. So. Um, I, I would love to see that technology, uh, but it's still relatively inefficient versus a Tesla Model 3, you know, especially with the smaller battery pack, which still gets you 215 miles of range, and you can fill up 80% of that battery pack in 30 minutes at one of the 400 or more supercharging stations that we have in this country. So every long-distance trip you want to do can be completed. I'm pretty much guaranteeing you, as long as you start out with a pretty full battery, you can go to New York or New Jersey. Um, you can go to Vancouver, wherever you want. 
Yeah, uh, and, and look, uh, uh, driving has never been price elastic uh, to the price of gasoline. It's never, when the price was high, we drove. When the price is low, we don't drive anymore. I mean, it really, it's totally inelastic. What it may not be inelastic to is, is the value proposition that an electric vehicle brings. And the, that value propositions are the two, uh, two of the major things that, that Kara just mentioned. One is the performance. You know, when the guys or gals get behind the wheel of that sucker and they touch that gas pedal, that's not a gas pedal. <laughs> and that may or that that may be the 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 elasticity of the acceleration rate may in fact really be very beneficial to the to the purchasing or the purchase decision of doing this versus that. And, and then, of course, there's the environmental piece, and the environmental piece is, is, is we've been talking about it long enough that, in fact, we have built in some elasticity of choice associated with that, that, in fact, that is beginning uh, to uh, make a decisions throughout the range of consumers that are out there that include those that, that, that buy pickup trucks. So um, um, uh, I think it's exciting that, in fact, there's going to be at least two viable uh, entities out there, and I'll call the viable ones. The one is the Ford version, because Ford has to put a viable entity out there because that's the underpinning of their business. It's the F-150, whatever. It doesn't have to be a, a, a gas engine. It can be an electric but it, but that vehicle, and of course, you know, you got you got Elon out there jumping up on on top of the back of the thing, showing it doesn't. I mean, whatever he's selling that stuff, he's going to be out there, I guess. Um, yeah, I, th I think I saw something. They were the top selling uh, vehicle, Tesla, in California. Oh. And the last, I don't know if it was the yeah. last month or last quarter. I, I don't top know. Top exactly. selling of all makes. I mean, yeah. you know, it's amazing. Uh, it's a rocket ship. It's a rocket ship, you guys. So I know they just launched a couple astronauts and hopefully we'll get them back. But boy, do they know how to launch a whole new piece of equipment. It's it's like nothing you've ever seen. Yeah. Bells and whistles on the Tesla Model 3 and the low end one with the shorter battery are phenomenal. So it's like nothing you've ever owned. Yeah, right. It, they, they've done that and they've done it in a way that, that is uh, completely different than the, were the other OEMs. They do the customer service completely differently. The over-the-air updating. I mean, my goodness, they're sitting there making sure that 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 the uh, that the vehicle gets better over time, as opposed to how these things been sold to us for 130 years. As soon as you buy one, they want you to say, "Oh, that thing sucks. Go buy this one." You know, the new one. And I mean, it's it's completely different. And and so that 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 customer appeal on it. Wow, you, you have to take your hand, hand off for them, you know. And those those battery packs on like the older Teslas that we have that are doing lots of long distance trip making, let's say from the LA to the Las Vegas region, these mm -hmm. are uh, rented out basically with drivers yeah. in them. And 
they're getting 200,000 miles or more on those battery packs. So it's really an, an incredibly safe vehicle. So if any of you have $35,000 and you have a 15-year-old or a 16-year-old or you are associated with a high school, get those wealthy families buying that vehicle. They want safety for their kids um, and they're all gonna love that vehicle. I don't even think they'll let the kid drive it because it's just too great, but um, we really should be pushing that vehicle as well as the Bolt is an amazing vehicle. The Prius, fantastic. These are all really smart choices for, for kids and for parents and, and for the wealthy and, and, and hopefully the, the lower income too. And I'll take it even farther, Kara. <laughs> I, I think insurance, companies should be pitching in to help families buy a Tesla with autopilot because they are substantially safer, I'll claim, or they've claimed. And guess what? That reduces the expected liability. And in fact, allows the insurance company to uh, keep more of the premium. And so in fact, um, insurance companies should be out there really push. And to whom? Well, to the folks that are the ones that are that have the highest expected um, um, crash probability, which is, uh, we, I think in New Jersey, we start at 17. I know you at Texas, you have them driving at what, 10 or something like that. <laughs> um, before bar mitzvah, they probably sit there and drive in, in Texas. Uh, no, whatever. no, they only drive on their computer. It's simulated driving. They have to wait till they're 16 and they have a lot of graduated licensing here. So um, we do try to keep them safe. Terrific. Well, before we wrap up, uh, you should know that there's another Zoom tank session that took place earlier this week. Kara was there. Everyone's for connectivity, but what's it for? And we encourage you to take a look at zoom-tank.com and keep an eye out there for the next one likely i think in about two weeks alan yeah i put it out there for two weeks and we want to do insurance to follow up on my comment that i just made but whatever i don't know if anybody's going to go in there and say oh no i mean insurance is going to go away if you don't have crashes what do you need insurance and they're all going to go bankrupt i don't know i think i think i wow that's crazy that's just crazy whatever but uh, hopefully we can get a good discussion on you know uh, expected liability and, and, and protection of expected liability, not only for the consumer, but for, for fleets, um, self-insurance and whatever. Maybe we can stir it up and discuss a few things, but we still have to put it together. I don't know if we're going to make it. We're trying to make it in two weeks. We'll somehow make it happen, I'm sure. That is it for this edition. Thank you to our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, the ticker symbol for the ETF again is MOTO, and you can find more information at MOTOETF.com. We want to thank Kara Cockleman for joining us again today. Really terrific, Kara. Appreciate all of your input. My pleasure. My pleasure. And by the way, my parents were very prescient and they named me Kara, like a I'm vehicle. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll disabuse everyone of that mispronunciation. I, it's a little unusual, I realize. Okay, well, everybody mispronounces my name. I'm called Elaine all the time. So, Cara, uh, uh, I'll try. I'll probably make a mistake again. Sorry. Cara, saying it right this time. Where's the best place for people to go for to follow you and all that you're doing? 
Yeah, well, the website has, you know, probably 150 papers and 30 or more of those are on self-driving vehicles. Another 30 are on electrification and emissions impacts. Another 30 almost are on crashes. So just Google that wacky last name of mine and it will probably take you directly there. And uh, if you haven't seen it on the screen, it's K-O-C-K-E-L-M-A-N. That's what you're going to search for. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, SoundCloud, wherever you turn for your podcast, and you can get your smart speaker to play us too. You can find my tech reports at textonation.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you so much for listening or watching, and please stay healthy. <laughs>